The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum everyone, welcome to Sister Speak, you're here with me Mariam. Also joined with me in the studio is... Assalamu alaikum everyone, it's me Fadeen. Assalamu alaikum, my name is Saadia. Um, and today we are joined by Saadia who is a very special guest. So for those who do not know, so Saja is a guest who will be talking about uh, her life as a nurse and in this topic we really want to delve into what her challenges has been, how she even became a nurse, um, but we'll do more on that later on in the next half of the show. But before we do that, Fareen, can you tell us what our show is about? Sure. Our show is a platform for Muslim girls to voice their own opinions on current events and issues and form discussions on general topics such as religion, culture, politics and social media. Please know all opinions and views are our own and we respect all other or opposing similar views and opinions. Yeah, so just to reiterate, all opinions and views are our own and respect all other opposing views. If you do want to join the discussion, Farine, how can they join us? You can call us on 015824818822. You can also send us a WhatsApp message on 0779481822. And I also put up a story on our Instagram at Sisterspeak where you have the opportunity to ask any questions you want to ask Sadia about her life as a nurse. So do get in touch during the live and she'll be more than happy to answer all the questions. Amazing. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. So we're going to delve into the first segment of our show called Thought of the Week. So this is a segment where we discuss something that's insightful, something thoughtful, um, a personal anecdote. So I'm going to start off with Farine. Okay, my thought of the week. So I saw this quote that said that the most um, beautiful hearted people are the ones that are happy for other people's blessings and are patiently waiting for theirs. And I would, I just thought it was so beautiful because, um, you know, being happy for your, even though your friends, I feel like being happy for everyone's success and not feeling, you know, I have to do this or, you know, being so con- uh, concentrated in the competition is such a bad feeling for you and for other people around you. So I think it's very really true. Everyone's success is going to come in time. You don't have to because if your friend is like the same age as you and you're in the same position and she's doing things and you're not, it doesn't mean that you're not going to do things. In the, you have We have like our whole life ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So there's no point in uh, wasting your time thinking, I want to do this and I want to achieve this just because this person has done it. Because we all have different, you know, paths and different things that we want to do so being happy for other people's blessings because i think jealousy is such a toxic feeling especially in friends and it leads to toxic friendships as well so that's my thought of the week just amazing Sadia, do you have any thoughts on that no i i completely agree with that i think that is so true i mean friendships and getting toxic environments it can happen and jealousy is such a strong thing such as well. a strong feeling yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I completely resonate with you, Farine, because I, I definitely think that's something that I experienced as well. Um, especially when I was trying to search for a job, um, it took me quite a while, it took me around two years, and I was seeing my counterparts achieving amazing things. I don't think that I had never had a feeling of jealousy. I never felt that, why haven't I achieved those milestones? Um, and I was always genuinely happy with them. I always think it's very important to clap for people, even if they surpassed you. And actually, if you think about it, everyone has different circumstances. Um, and they, you don't know the journey that they, it took them to get to that position. They probably have difficulties that you could probably never uh, overcome or you could never survive, to be honest. And for you to be able to go through that is something that probably was not good for you. But you're only seeing the surface. So I think it's really important to recognize that Allah has put you in certain positions for you to be able to handle. And when in terms of your decree, it's written already. And all you have to do is just try your best and you'll get there one day. And sometimes you may not understand why you're, you haven't got a certain thing, but later on you'll gain hindsight and you think that's actually the best thing for you. So even in my own personal life, I, I always used to reflect and think, I might not have got something that I was striving for, but Allah has given me something better. And the more you have a good opinion of Allah, the more better things that will come your way. So thank you for sharing that. That's really. it. I just want to add one more thing. Um, you know, when so when you have this kind of things where it's jealousy and stuff, I think it's so important not to gatekeep these opportunities. If it's not if it's not for you, then it's so important to share. I think, Mariam, you do, you do this a lot with me, Mariam. Any opportunity that she gets that she knows I'm going to um, benefit from, she always sends it to me. So don't gatekeep. And I think always try to, you know, help. They're your friends at the end of the day. They're people that you know. They're people that are going to benefit from it. So um, these opportunities, if they're not for you, you can always share them. You can always tell other people that's what I wanted to say no I think even if it's for you as well that your ability to achieve that is not going to decrease by sharing it with someone else yeah definitely and if it's not written for you then it wasn't written for you in the first place whether they not, whether or not you share it and in fact even if you share it 
that that could be in the eyes of Allah that could be like wow you're trying to help someone to earn halal earnings maybe that would be written for you yeah so you always have to have a positive mindset when it comes to sharing opportunities because you want to elevate everyone together that's what community is when we start to adopt an individualistic mindset that's when it becomes problematic and actually we don't feel very good about ourselves because we just think about ourselves only and yeah. we don't have anyone to turn to because the support network that we might have had if we were good community people will not exist anymore so i think it's really important to to have that essence about you that you are a part of a community and therefore you ha- are responsible and you have and people have rights upon you to help them whenever they require even if they don't require it it's if you know that you can help them in any shape or form you should launch for that um so yeah i think that's a very good addition to your point um uh, I was just going to say, it's also the type of friends you'll have that will support you. Like if someone's putting you down, then you're going to feel that guilt and you're going to feel like you're not where you're supposed to be. But that's obviously just someone else's point and it's not you. So you have to be around the right people who are going to support you and not put you down and support you to get wherever you want, whatever you're struggling with at that time. I definitely resonate with that. Mm. Something that I think we all of us struggle. Yeah. Sometimes we take the opinion of others and we allow them to define us when yeah. that isn't the case. We should know ourselves. We should be strong enough to not let anyone's opinions um, impact us in that such you know in a way that it overcomes us. And I think that comes with self confidence. And again, going back to both of your points, is having good company to help you elevate that and to create that. They should be championing you, but. Initially, it actually comes from yourself. If you don't value yourself, it's very difficult for anyone else to value you. Yeah, it's, think, it's a long journey, isn't it? Yeah. Confidence. It's, yes, a very long journey. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of grit. And yeah. and it's, it's difficult. I think a lot of people think, you know, when we see these charismatic people, we think they're just so naturally charismatic. But it took them time to, to achieve that level. And don't get me wrong, there are people that inherently like that. But... I have spoken to people who used to say to me they were so shy, they couldn't speak to anyone. I'm one of those people um, and only through time where I was able to expose myself and where I was able to overcome uh, certain challenges, that's when I started to become resilient and I started to realize actually I am able to um, do certain things. I think it's what it is when you have certain opportunities or certain challenges, when you have the mindset that this is just couple you just have to take certain steps towards it it becomes easier with time whereas if you just see it as one giant mountain it looks like you weren't able to overcome it so i think it's just taking small amounts of challenges and just going through that um does anyone have any thoughts yeah no definitely i agree and i think uh, the more you grow up the more experience you get as well so obviously from my point of view this i have such a long you know obviously everyone here has a long long journey ahead with confidence with your little challenges every day there's a little challenge of what you're gonna do but the important thing is to like you guys said you know have the right company and have the right mindset as well you mm-hmm. don't you don't you don't want to be thinking this challenge that i'm doing she did it that's why i want to do it you want to do that all that for yourself for your self-development so yeah, yeah i agree with you maria i think there was a point that someone said um a couple of weeks ago, um, I went to this masterclass where, and it was a political figure and she said she, she was the Plan Sec of Education and she said that when you are thinking about challenges, you need to think about challenges that will help you grow and will accelerate your growth, but you shouldn't put yourself in a situation where it's so challenging that you begin to, you begin to dr- um, drown. So when you, when you drown in challenges, it's not conducive for your growth because you're not able to have any foresight, you're not going to learn anything because you're so uncomfortable to the point where you're not learning anything. So it's really important to have that balance. And I think a lot of people think in binaries that, okay, I either go through something that's really, really challenging or I don't do any challenges at all. But I think it's for you to learn those parameters is by exercising introspection. When you learn about yourself and you know that certain things may trigger you or certain things are a bit too suffocating for you, I wouldn't advise you to go towards that. However, if there's something that's slightly uncomfortable, you should venture to that. And you should also have your support um, group to help you to overcome those challenges. So I think it's learning, assessing the situation, but also assessing yourself as well. And we talk a lot about introspection. We do, we do. You can, you, you can always explore, like uh, me being on radio and stuff like that. It's, it was such a long journey, you know, and you develop, you learn. And when it's too much of a challenge, you like carry it around like a burden. You just think it's a chore instead mm-hmm. of a challenge that is going to let you grow. So yeah, I agree with you. On that point, actually, Farine, do you want to talk about how you've grown on radio 
Sure, I remember my first day actually. We were doing it wasn't a live show, so it wasn't that bit of uh, it wasn't that scary. But I was on the podcast, and I, you know, the the company. I just felt so safe in there with the, all the you know my the radio girls, and they gave me feedback at the end, which is really important. You know, you should always listen listen to constructive feedback, and take a point like no one's perfect. You know, the, especially on your first day, if someone's giving you any points or someone's saying, oh, maybe you should do this, you should, as long as it's constructive feedback mm-hmm. and you, you're gonna learn from it, then it's really important to listen to it and that's what I did and then I just started getting more and more comfortable talking on radio I remember I, I used to um I don't know how you say it, but you know when you use, just don't know how to like speak out <laughs> so I used to do that a lot but you know with time and uh, the more you get comfortable with the people that you work with like the people that I'm here with in the radio then you just you just get comfortable and now it's like my my third home <laughs> oh it really is her third home yeah, it really but is. I think it's I think on that point it's about you becoming comfortable with yourself as well I think recognizing that you initially find it very challenging and you recognize that you know English is like your fourth language and so for you to be on radio yes yeah. English is like a fourth language and she she came when she came to the UK from Spain she couldn't really speak English at all and so for her to be on radio on a radio show is I still think it's so impressive and I I try to promote Thank that every single show. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm always it out she's so sweet. Um and I think it's it, and it goes to show it's when you put your mind to anything yeah. you can achieve anything that you want to and it's about allowing yourself to go through that uncomfortableness. I think we all feel about we have we're quite fixated on the idea of being embarrassed that yeah. what would people think of us we're making mistakes but no one actually thinks about another person's mistakes. If you think about yeah, it logically, yeah. no one actually really thinks about it. You only think about your own mistakes. Yeah. It's a very fleeting thought. And so the more you become comfortable being uncomfortable, the more you can actually um, grow. And I think definitely we've seen that across the show. Even for myself, until this day, I still I feel like I'm learning. I still feel like there's shows that go very well. And there's some shows that I feel that I've stumbled. I, I could have done it better. But that's okay because that's human nature. That's For me, I understand that sometimes I'm not going to be able to do my best. And some days I will be okay. Um, and I think it's just learning to kind of accept who you are because I think when you try to define yourself with things that are arbitrary in terms of, um, you know, if, if something goes wrong, it doesn't mean that you're someone that's always going to do something wrong. It just means it's in that point. So I think we're rounding off those points. A very long thought of the week. Um, I'm not going to add mine just because I think we should move on to the next segment. I get to get uh, away with it. Um, but we are going to move to Stop, Sadi's thought of the week. Oh, Sadi, do you want to add your thought of the week? Um, yeah, I can do. Um, I'll do a little reflection on going Umrah for the first time. So I did oh, go Umrah Allah. last month. Uh, it was an amazing experience, alhamdulillah. Uh, but it's once you come back, it's so hard to get into that routine that you had when you were in Umrah. I think it's important to keep that aspect in your life that you need to constantly remember to keep, how do I say, like go to lectures, keep... Sustaining that kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really hard because obviously when you come back, you go back to studying, work, other things get into your life and then people normally push their prayers away or don't pray but when you're in Umrah that's all you do and I think it's amazing that we go there and then when we come back sometimes it falls down on us so I think just remembering to even just setting aside 10 minutes to do something that's just for yourself going and sitting on the prayer mat beforehand maybe just maybe reading a hadith a day you know just to keep yourself in that environment yeah I think those points are really valid and um, I think for me even my personal reflection of Umrah thank you for sharing your story and Umrah Mubarak as well for you thank you Um, I think I think we can all kind of benefit Mm -hmm. from that because we also have that same feeling after Ramadan post Ramadan feeling so we do so much in Ramadan and we revive our spirituality however it completely declines as soon Mm -hmm. as Ramadan's over and so we have to kind of think about why are, why are we capable of doing this in Ramadan and suddenly become incapable after Ramadan? And I think it's about a shift of mindset. So when you're in Umrah, I, I, I've been in Umrah as well, alhamdulillah. When you're in Umrah, you, your focus is only to, you know... Um, work on your deen. Yeah, work on your yeah. deen. You're, you're very secluded. It's almost isolated and no one actually bothers you either. Yeah. So you're very focused on just pleasing Allah to re, you know, build your relationship, um, to heal, to transform, to revive spiritually. Um, and those things to take seclusion as well. And we know from, from the seerah, from the Prophet ﷺ, he used to take time to seclude himself, to reflect and to kind of work on himself. 
So that's very necessary for us to do that, and we should take that from our tradition. Um, but once we are out of that, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we should constantly be doing that. It means that we adopt those kind of qualities that we, uh, you know, learn when we're doing those seclusions, and we try to implement it in our daily lives. And so, giving that, uh, going back to what Sadia was saying in terms of just trying to integrate something that's we can do something consistently, also goes back to the hadith that Allah loves small things, and He likes it consistent. And it's something that we can all, you know, we have enough time to scroll on our phones endlessly. It's very possible. Like Umrah teaches us that everything is, all of that is, that is possible. It definitely so. is. And it's, it shows that you have the capability to for it. Yeah. I think that's really important that you were able to do all of this for 10 days straight. Mm-hmm. And therefore you can do that after as well. Yeah. And you, you, can, you should remember the feelings that you had. You feel you're, you're the most, you have the most peace at that time. And that's something you want to feel again. And so... I think you know our souls are made to worship, and so when we take that away from our souls, we tend to feel so much restlessness, and we used to feel we feel so uneasy. So it's really important to go back to those kind of feelings and just try to implement something that we can sustain. Because I think also is another aspect of it is when we um, try to do too much and then mm-hmm. we go to a decline, that feels really bad. So we try to do something that works for us, and I think that's the beauty of our religion is that it's very individualistic in a sense that your journey and my journey can be very different. Yeah. And my our sense of sincerity will look different, but even it's not about the volume of actions; it's about how sincere I am, and that can manifest in different ways. And there's the only thing that differs between me and you is our sincerity, is our actions. So, and I think having company, as we were running up from the whole show, also allows you to kind of develop those qualities. And I think it's a very good segue for my thought of the week now, since we're all sharing our thought of the yeah, week. Yeah, you should definitely <laughs> share yours. Um, so yesterday I went to Faith Space, which is in East London, um, which is a space where they do um, Islamic courses. I've been studying under Faith Space for uh, quite some time now. Um, and we were just doing the 99 Names of Allah, and I just feel I want to share it on the air because I've been going for the last three weeks uh, in person. And usually I don't get the opportunity, but now because I work quite close to this space I'm able to go and I was just reflecting how uh, fortunate I feel that I'm able to go to a gathering where everyone is here for the sake of Allah to learn his attributes and there's a hadith where you know if when uh, people have a gathering and they're talking about Allah the angels come and you definitely feel that barakah in that setting and then you also meet very like-minded people as well because everyone's here despite their careers despite their responsibilities despite the commitments despite their mental health despite everything they're going through they're they've here, taken time. They're taking. They come here to to learn about Allah, to come closer to Him, and you can just forget that for the last for two hours, and you can just learn about the one that loves you the most. So for me, I just feel really, really fortunate that Alhamdulillah that I'm able to kind of experience that, and I'm able to go to these faith sessions. And I think people should. I feel like as a community, we're, we're so lucky in the UK, and I'm sure um, Farin has talked about her experience in Spain and how there wasn't. And much access to these kind of opportunities I just feel really grateful that we do have those spaces and we should try to preserve them and we should support them in any way that we can yeah that's great I think it's really true when it's like um, a youth like kind of Islamic community you can just feel like the peace like the air is so peaceful and everyone's you know it's just so different it's like another world you you come from the real world to that peaceful world everyone's like on their you know being yeah I love it I've been to a lot of um, gatherings like this as well and I, re- I really do benefit from it. And I love meeting, you know, I made so many friends from it as well. So yeah. it's a great um, community feeling. Definitely. I think for me personally, I really need that stimulation. If I don't get stimulated, and Sadi knows this very well, <laughs> if I don't get some sort of stimulation, if I'm not learning something, I think I become, my brain just, I feel like it physically hurts. I need to do something that stimulates me. And I really love learning about a religion. I feel like it really does enrich me. And I personally feel that, you know, especially faith space, the teachers that we have, the caliber that they have, the knowledge that they have, the humility that they have, the humbleness, it's it's so beautiful. And it just makes me feel that I'm such, I'm so proud to be Muslim and I'm so proud to be from a religion that strives to better themselves in every single way. They strive for ihsan, which is excellence, in every single way possible. And I think that's something that I always feel makes me feel proud. Um, so yeah, I think that's my thought of the week. Does anyone have any 
last thoughts that they want to share? I'm just going to say, uh, I think we did a show on, uh, you know, growing up Muslim or something like that. And we were saying how much of Islam is such a big religion. You have so many things to learn. You learn something new about Islam every single day. So um, I think now you're, you're doing all of this stuff. You're learning so much about Islam. And it makes me so happy because every day, every day, even if, even if you're scrolling on TikTok, there's always like something, a hadith mm-hmm. that someone's posting and you always like learn from it. So yeah, that's that's all I wanted to add. <laughs> I think it's really important because we are so fortunate to have access, yeah. whereas our parents didn't. Yeah. We have access and we have the time and we have the um, finance to be able to do it as well because all of those things were luxuries for our parents. And so sometimes I do understand that people have these contentions with their parents because their understanding of Islam may sometimes not align with our understanding of Islam because we we tend to learn Islam without the essence of culture, whereas uh, our parents had no choice and mm-hmm. they had to learn religion and culture um, and it was almost inseparable so that's why there's always a contention between parents and um, children because it's very hard to explain that this is actually culture to differentiate it but they can't see that and so that that's when your Islam should come in when you're exercising it if you're speaking angrily that's not what the tradition teaches you need to be calm and to communicate it and there's something you have to just fight your own battles choose your battles wisely because you know what's the parameters of Islam, and you know so long as you're uh, so long so long as you can adhere to them. Um, if your parents have a different view and they're not going against Islam, it's completely fine. Just choose your battles wisely. But I think going back to my main point is that because we have all this access, I think it's incumbent on every single person to be able to to utilize it as much as they can, because we have the time, we have the finance, we have the ability to do it. If we we need to make that a priority, and especially for the next generation, if we don't know Islam. It's very easy for our our young people who will go through the system to be taught values and ideologies that not may not align with our own. And so for us we need to make sure that we're very strong in understanding our own principles and how, you know, we rationalize our own world view through Islam. Um this is something I'm very passionate about and I think for me it's just constantly learning. And sometimes it requires unlearning as well. Uh, like I mentioned in the um earlier part that we may have learned things that are not true to Islam and that's okay because that's all we had access to but now it's your it's your duty to find out okay what is actually the truth and what is actually what actually pertains to Islam as well um so yeah that runs the first half of the show we only have a couple of minutes and uh, I do want to play a game because we do usually play a game with our guests so the segment is called would you rather and uh, Sadia requested that I don't uh, use any very deep questions, but unfortunately, I couldn't <laughs> fulfill her request. Um, but I'll try. I'll try. So the first question is, uh, and this is for you, Sadia. I try to keep it a little bit lighthearted. Um, would you rather have? Would you rather have to communicate using only emojis for a week or speak in rhymes for a month? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in emojis rather than rhymes. I probably won't be able to get rhymes out of every word anyway. And for a month, that's a long time. I just wouldn't want to speak. I think if it would, came naturally to you, would you, would you, what, would you? Uh, no, I feel like emojis just show your emotions. So just leave it at that, like, just send emojis. Interesting. What about yourself, Fareen? I was going to say the same thing, but if, if it makes sense to do it with a poet because in, you're talking about real life, you're just going to hold up like an emoji. So I was going to say emoji as well. I was related to Sadia, but there's, so, there's a one little emoji. I think everyone knows the little crying one. I use that one for laughing, for crying, <laughs> when I'm angry. I use it for everything. So no one's going to know how I'm feeling. So I'd probably use the rhyme one, even though rhymes don't come as easy to me. I'm not a poet or anything. But I'll use the rhyme one. I'll try to like work it out in my head so people know what I'm actually saying instead of using the emojis because emojis are so I don't think I don't feel like they're gonna show what I'm actually what I actually want to say do you think that you show your emotions anyways yeah with your face <laughs> sometimes sometimes I think I do when I'm happy you can tell when I'm yeah sometimes it think, depends on the person do you think uh, people around you can assess that or identify when you have different emotions or do you think you actually verbalize it no, I th- I think the people that I'm close, like my family and my friends, they can tell. They can tell. But um, when I'm uh, when I'm with people that I'm not comfortable with, I just don't show it. It's like a monotone feeling, you know. I'm monotone. This is my professional time, not my personal one. Interesting. What about yourself, Sadia? Do you think you... I think I agree with her when it comes to that? Like, it's got to be someone who knows you and you're comfortable around to understand how your body language, your speech, mm-hmm. eye contact, all of that, how that works and how you're feeling. 
but if it's someone you don't really know, you're kind of just putting a block up and they're not really make gonna it care. sound like you're okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what it is. That we should all have the sense of we should all strive to have a sense of emotional intelligence that we should be able to tell people's cue. But it's not also we can't just assume that someone's feeling something as well, and that obviously yeah. is a lack of emotional intelligence. But I think for me, I feel like because it's a light-hearted question, I would like to read emojis. I just one-dimensional, but people would want to know more. And I just think, okay, it's just an emoji. Like, is she really laughing? Is she really happy? <laughs> Never know. It's just an emoji. You question mark. I could do a question mark emoji, right? Yeah. And sometimes I actually have that in my head. Like, I, when someone's talking, I just think question mark. Like, or the, yeah. when you have an idea, the little bulb comes up on your on top of your head. I mean, that doesn't happen to me. But the question mark definitely does happen to me. Um, but yeah, I think the, I think we don't have time for another question. We might have to do that in the second half. You know Let us know the, your answer to this question. Would you rather speak with emojis or with rhymes on our Instagram at SisterSpeak? Well, you can, you can WhatsApp us at 0779 or you can call us on 01582 or you can, uh, our social media is at SisterSpeak. And yeah, at Sister Speak underscore on Twitter if you want to let us know any your thought of the week we can share it on the live and our TikTok as well at Sister Speak underscore oh yeah please do sh- uh, follow all our social medias we would love to hear from you but that does round off the first half of our show it was really great to speak to Sadia and Farin. Um in the next half we will be diving into the main topic which is about her nursing career so do, do join us you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome back to Sister Speak. You're joined with me, uh, me, Farine, and um, Sadia, who is a nurse. In this half, we'll be talking about her career as a, as a nurse, as an adult nurse. Uh, um, for the last four years and we were diving into her experiences the challenges she has faced and also her the differences between working in the public and private sector so do if you do want to join the discussion Farine how can they call us you can ask any questions you want to study about her you know life as nursing and you can call us on all zero Oh one five eight two four eight one eight two two, or you can WhatsApp us on oh triple seven nine four eight one eight two two. Like I said in the first half, I did put up a story, um, a poster that you can you know ask questions if you want to call, you don't want you don't want to WhatsApp, and she'll be more than happy to answer the questions. Of course, amazing. So I'm going to d- dig right into it because we only have a very short time. Um, so I'm going to ask the first question: is is what inspired you to become a nurse, and can you walk us through the education and training journey that it took for you to become a nurse? Okay, so there was nothing that actually inspired me to be a nurse. I, it was just something I've always wanted to do. And it was always just in my head that I was going to be a nurse. So as I went through college, I just automatically was picking up the courses that would take me to nursing. So I did health and social care and biology. And then near the end of college, when we applied for unis, um, I applied for nursing. It was a bit difficult because there's actually four types of nursing. So there's adult nursing, child nursing, mental health nursing and learning disability nursing. But I went for adult nursing, which right now I feel like was the right decision. I did debate about all of them, but I chose adult. I don't know why. I think I just felt the rest were coming with their own difficulties. But in a way... Adult nursing, adult nursing, kind of, apart from child nursing, adult nursing still has mental health nursing involved in it and learning disability. So in a way, it is kind of still general nursing. Um, What was the second part? How I got there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's mainly a university course. I think now they're starting to open up apprenticeships. Um, To become a nurse, it's a band five. They also got level four, band four, uh, apprenticeships going out there's a lot more opportunities coming out now when I applied we were the last people to get funding from the government sadly they don't do funding anymore I think they've just started up a small funding thing again but it's just not enough because when you're at university you're still spending 50% time in practice because you got to get your skills and everything you're learning on the job 
for travel accommodation and stuff like that people can't afford that i think they've found a drop in nurses mm. and the what is it admission rates yeah whatever yeah so there is a drop but it's such a rewarding career it's i'm still here i'm still doing it and i think when you meet a nurse they'll always like tell you they've been in the that for many years like they've been doing it their whole life yeah i think that's a, that's such a beautiful start of the show and you know there's a couple of things that you kind of mentioned um the first thing that is that decision process the, the decision process in terms mm-hmm. of how you um chose the specific uh, specific type of nurse that you want to become but we'll hold that thought because we do have a caller on the line um that's great this is exactly what we want <laughs> So um just to bear with me. Um can Marian, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm just I know there's some technical difficulties. Okay, we'll go we'll come back to that. So um in terms of the in terms of the decision making process um Yeah. So this Hello. Oh, okay. Hi. You're joined with us and Sister Speak. Um, let us know your question. Um, I had a question for Saudi Riaz. I wanted to know that what, because she's a nurse, I wanted to know the impact her family had on her decision to be a nurse and what motivated her to keep her dreams alive and keep on going. And that's an excellent question. And I think I was we're going to, we were going to delve into that. So thank you for your question. What's your name? Hasib. Thank you, Hasib, for joining us. Um, okay, so Sajid, tell us, tell us, tell Hasib what made you, what motivated you to become a nurse, and how did that impact your family? I'm sure they're very inspired by the work that you do. Go ahead. Um. Yeah, no, my family had a massive impact on me. Um, yeah. Sorry, everyone, we're just having some technical difficulties. Can you still hear us? Haseeb, if you can just uh, decline the call and then we'll answer the question. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, what was it again? So oh, how my family... How, how your family... I think it's a very good question. So how your family was impacted. Um, I think you kind of uh, noted about the decision-making process as well. And mm-hmm. um, and how do you feel that it's created impact for yourself? Very good questions. Um, well, my family, uh, they've been very supportive of it um, throughout my career even. Because yep. I've... Obviously, again, it was such a straining time. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother's always very supportive of it. Um he loves what I do. Um, he's always asking me. I'm always telling him about, like, you know, what I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, he supports me mentally as well. Um, also, touching on the decision-making, I did want to touch on how, like, after I did qualify, I struggled a lot with deciding what to do because I was now a registered nurse. And there was loads of fields I could actually go into, like, you know, departments, wards, outpatients, um, all sorts. So I did struggle for a long time. It took me, I think, over three months to decide where where to go. And again, I didn't actually decide. I just kind of went with the flow mm. and I decided to join my friend. And we, I... I went into the department she was working in, which was great for me because then I had someone I already knew, someone who was going to support me. So that was good. And I feel like whatever decisions anyone ever, like wherever they are, don't ever feel disheartened that you're just, you feel like you're at a standstill because whatever it is, it'll come to you. Like for you, example, like you said, it took you a few years to get where you were you were going to interviews and you just never was getting the job but it just wasn't for you and I feel like it, it, it hurt me even right now like I'm in a different job I'm doing a master's but I still like everyone asks me what you're going to do after your master's and I'm like I don't know <laughs> like I know I'll have my master's but I I have no idea where I'm going and I'm still like 
four years into my career and I still think like you know there's so many fields I can explore but I just don't know it's almost as if there's too much of an option but that's amazing about nursing because you just have so many options and it's a job that you can literally jump from one area if you don't enjoy it you can move on there's different places there's loads of places you can work I think that's such a beautiful way of kind of rounding it off in mm. terms of sometimes you might think that something's written for you and you think that's all you put all your efforts towards it but something but actually Allah redirects you to something better and only then when you experience that you recognize that this is something that has made me feel the best person I could put, uh, possibly be but on that note we do have another corner on the line uh, so Assalamu alaikum. Um, I just want to ask, since um, I'm going to school with nursing this year, is there a difference between the nursing courses between um, a Russell Group Uni and a typical you know, uni such as the Bedfordshire or the Hertfordshire Uni? What would be the main difference? Excellent, excellent question. Saja, hand it to you. So just to clarify, that question's asking about the difference in Bedfordshire. So the, the question is about Russell Group. So the difference between going to a Russell Group university. So a Russell Group is um, a group of universities that are on the top of the league tables mm-hmm. um, as opposed to other universities that are not on the um, top of the league tables. So okay. she's asking, does it make a difference in terms of your nursing career, um, whether you go to a Russell Group university or not? Um, no, I don't think it does personally um i went to hertfordshire i can't remember where they were um on the list i don't think they were completely high up i, I highly doubt it. um <laughs> but like i went hertfordshire and i don't regret that decision whatsoever one i think placements are an important thing to consider when you're going uni like i wanted to go london but to know that you're going to be doing 12 and a half hour shifts and coming back and the travel on trains or whatever and like taking that into consideration I chose Hertfordshire because it was still going to be kind of local you are still going to still be in Hertfordshire but I think recently they've kind of moved over into Bedfordshire as well Mm -hmm. so people that live in Luton might be able to go to the Luton Hospital what did the course look like? I think the caller would benefit if you could tell us what does yeah, the course sure. look like. Um, it's a three-year course. Um, they do break it up. Um, I think Hertfordshire is quite good because you go into uni for the first semester. They kind of teach you as much as they can. Then you go out to placements. Placements vary from, I think, about four weeks to all the way to three months but you do three months like right at the end. So I think right. the first placement's about four weeks and then you come back to uni, do a bit more studying, then they'll put you on another placement. I think in the first year, it was just two placements. Uh, second year was probably about three placements and the final year we had three placements and then you have like one final placement where you're in that place for three months and you're kind of making use of trying to act as if you're a registered nurse mentors a lot of the time are very very supportive um i feel like i know people go through experiences where they not have a supportive mentor and i think uni are very very involved in that they come and visit you on placements to check in how you are you always have like a link mentor that you can contact if you have any concerns i personally was very lucky um in the sense where my mentors were pretty good they let you get involved in pretty much anything I think now that I'm actually nursing I love having students with me because I feel like I came from that yeah I can really connect to them um I feel oh yeah like I let them do anything that they can that's within their ability I always like take them around with me whatever like anything interesting going on I'd be like just go watch because that's all they can do and it's such a good learning experience and I think it's such a good job because you get to learn as you go in and it's not like you spend three years in uni studying and then you go out and it's just start doing everything. Yeah, I think you uh, covered a, a multiple points there. Mm. Um, in terms of just a clarification, in terms of mentors, are you saying that there's a mentor from the 
nurse in, uh, in terms of the hospital itself yes, that yeah. that kind of guides you what's your own placement yeah. um and secondly then you have another mentor that's at university that liaises with your me- mentor at the hospital that's the first question and the second question is what does the placement look like what does your day-to-day activity looks like as a placement student so the first question mentors yeah so w- whatever ward you go on or department wherever you are you'll always have a mentor uh you have like one mentor that's you know gonna do you have a booklet to do as you go along like you set little goals and stuff and then they do an initial interview midpoint interview and a final interview with you so in the initial interview you'll say i just want to you know maybe if you're working in the community just say like get more used to in the community they see more wound care and stuff so you might want to get involved learn about the aseptic techniques learn about different wounds and different um, equipment they use um, and then you're never you're not always working with your mentors so you'll always get an opportunity to work with different people so which is also good because you start to learn that different people do have different techniques there's no right and wrong because they're still doing the same thing but then, you know, sometimes something works for you and then someone else might do it and it might not work for you. So you get an idea of different things to do or how to do diff- one thing t- in different ways. Mm. Um, also, yeah, uni will always, you'll have someone at uni that you can talk to if there's any issues or anything. They're very hands-on in terms of, I, I had my mentor come out to me they check your book they make sure everything's going okay they make sure you're okay um and also your mentors get to send you to different study days so they'll send you on study days that nurses are doing so they can just get involved and learn about that as well so there's loads of opportunities and wherever you go you can basically request to basically go to different like you know let's say i was working in the community And I'll say, oh, can I just go out with the physio who's also in the community? And they'll let you do that. Yeah, I think that's really a comprehensive answer in terms of what placement looks like. And just rounding off in terms of uh, the caller's question, I think a lot of students, even I had that perception that if you go to a Russell Group University, sure, you'll have better access to lecturers in terms of expertise because Russell Group Universities have specialist um, courses. However, I think with nursing, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Sajja, it's more about just gaining the experience and gaining a qualification. Um, I think you've also mentioned before to me that they don't really ask you what your degree um, classification is yeah. no one asks you if you've got 2-1 or 2-2 two, two. they yeah. just want you to have that qualification um, yeah. so it really is down to you uh, so to address the caller it's really down to you if you have specific kind of um, preferences in terms of institution and you have preferences in terms of um, affiliation with hospitals that you want to work in I think that's something that you'll have to make a judgement but in terms of the wider trajectory it doesn't really make much of a difference um, that's not to say with other kind of um, subjects sometimes yeah. it does make a difference difference in yeah, terms of if you go to a Russell group or not however for this particular subject um it, it it I think most people have said that Russell group or no grass Russell group it doesn't make much of a difference yes yeah, I completely agree with that. so um yes we have another caller on the line so I'll we'll take the next question Salam alaikum Welcome so, um how can what's your next what's your question um, I wanted to ask Adia, um if there's a clash between religion and her work and how culture also fits into that. Okay, very interesting question. Um, what's your name? Riyad Ahmed. Thank you, Riyad, for your question. Um, I, think some, I think this is very interesting. We'll pose that to her. Okay, okay so Thanks. Riyad has asked... In terms of what's your experience as a Muslim going mm-hmm. being in this kind of sector, and have you faced any challenges um, in terms of navigating this uh, field? Um, so I know we're going to touch on this a bit later, but like I said, I've worked in private and in public, and even like throughout my time, I think when I first my first ever placement was in the community, and it was in a white area, like a very very um, um, it's just a specific area. Yeah, like where there were minority groups, shall I say. Um, and they did struggle seeing me in a scarf 
because and there was a lot of like oh like where are you from even if I was born here and they were like oh like how come there's more nurses coming in from your country and like I wouldn't know how to approach that but I think as I'm you get more comfortable so yeah, maybe it's easier think, to navigate yeah, definitely I feel like and it's like your patient ratio like if if you're only working in certain areas it kind of works out differently mm-hmm. or like they just don't have a better understanding of environments because that that was in villages that I was going out into Mm, uh, okay, so I feel like um, I want to um, unpack that. So what you mentioned is that when you went to spaces where you were, there was a lack of representation in terms of um, people not understanding your cultural background, mm. um, the challenge that poses is that people didn't understand why you dressed a certain way or when you subscribed to certain views. Yeah. Did that imp- impact the way that you actually were able to deliver your work as a nurse or did that just mentally ma- make it difficult in terms of finding a sense of belonging in the workplace? Yeah, I think more the second. Um, it was just like, you know, like where you spend most of your life and no one's questioned you. And then all of a sudden someone's like, oh, like, who are you? Where are you from? Mm. It's like, it just takes you aback for a second. Um, but generally, I've not, it's not really affected me throughout my nursing career as such. Like, I think everywhere I work, there's been always a good mix of multicultural faiths mm-hmm. i think it's a really good example that you're giving everyone to everyone who's doing it because you are the representation now mm-hmm. so if they are you know they can see that this uh, we can do this you know we can work as a nurses and we can go out there and do this stuff so it's good representation that you're doing yeah i think that's i think farine's completely right in terms mm. of being pioneers in certain areas and especially exposing um areas that may have not have seen different people from mm. different cultures i think it's really important for them to see and it could come then um, you know it could come with certain challenges however i think it's just being able to be conscious of how you're going to address those challenges um sometimes people just want to have a conversation they generally just want yeah. to know why you do something and how you do yeah. something as opposed to being defensive and thinking why they're attacking me for who i yeah. am is it's just how that feel conversation. like it was always like it wasn't like they were attacking you they were just curious and like mm-hmm. it's something just out of their normal wasn't it so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't never like um it was but never like they were trying to be racist or anything it was never like that um okay i think that's a really good way to kind of round we do have another five only a couple of mon- more minutes left and there is something that i wanted to kind of talk about because i think the differences between your work in the public and private sector of nursing and i, I know mm. the cause that we've had today they probably will benefit a lot from it okay. um yeah. so can you just tell us about your experiences the differences between private and public yeah so i've worked in private and public um there was a difference and there wasn't in a way the care you give is always the same because regardless of someone paying or not paying you're still giving them what we would say always like we're always trying to give a high standard of care regardless of whether it's in the nhs or not um so for me i always treated my patients the same when i was in the private sector we had a mix of patients so we had patients that paid patients that came f- like via the insurance company and then we had nhs patients and nothing changed between the care i think obviously as a nurse private gives you certain benefits like you get health insurance with them i think pays better i think you know people who are looking to have less weekends or maybe not work nights they can facilitate for things like that i think they'll help you nick well they let you negotiate on a pay which is good obviously um um but the nhs i think gives you a whole variety so private is mainly surgical and then obviously the nhs has everything medical surgical mm. all every kind of aspect of it um it gives you a whole load of experience you're seeing a variety of patients and obviously in private, some patients did get the idea that because we're paying, like we we expect you to maybe stay with us constantly or, you know, just like little things like, oh, like, can you just 
prop my pillows up and even though they can do it yeah they don't want to because they're paid which yeah if they're paid what can you say uh whereas in the nhs like if you've done that for someone they'd just be so thankful Uh i see so the sense of appreciation yeah um i think one of the things i actually wanted to ask as well do you feel like when you worked in um uh, private health care did you feel like there was more resources for you to be able to deliver that high standard of care and is there any differences between private and public in terms of having resources and support to be able to deliver that um interestingly enough the private wasn't as advanced as the nhs interesting which was yeah even for me um whereas the private was still paper-based and in the nhs they obviously gone mostly electronic um, also in private, they didn't have certain resources, so they weren't able to accept certain patients because they couldn't facilitate for those patients. Um, so in a way, it, there isn't massive resources. I think people now, I think, mostly go to private, one, because they've got insurance, or two, just because they've they got a w- long waiting list on the NHS, mm-hmm. which it is, especially after COVID. Um, so I think people are just more forced into that decision. Uh, yeah, but NHS has obviously a lot more resources. All the um, consultants, anaesthetists are literally in the NHS. So they're the same doctors that are working in the NHS. It's not like private, they're only doing private. Well, so, that's really interesting and I think really insightful because I didn't think about private healthcare in that sense. Mm. I would have imagined it's more comprehensive than it would be in the NHS, but that's something that's really enlightening. That is only simply from the one I worked. Uh, I think obviously some in London might be a bit more advanced or anywhere else, but the one I worked in. Okay, so this is just from your experience. point of view yeah. and your experience. It's yeah. not necessarily the generic experience of others because you haven't worked in multiple... Yeah, yeah, um, no. Well, that's really interesting, and I, I think if there, anyone does have any, extra, any thoughts on that, we'd love to hear it um, in the next show. That we, I feel like we're going to have to delve more into it. Um, we are now coming to the end of the half, and uh, this half of the show. Um, I want to thank Sadia for coming on the show and talking about her experiences as a nurse. I think she's covered so many great and poignant points in terms of how healthcare looks like in private and public sector, but also how her journey to being a nurse has given her such a fulfilling career. Um, so thank you again for joining us and uh, inshallah we'll see you again. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at Inspire FM Luton.